thank you for checking out the Long and Short of It podcast. You can find us on all good podcast platforms and on the YouTube channel, The Subtext. Hello and welcome to The Long and Short of It, the podcast where we discuss each of the games in the Metacritic Top 100 list. My name's Lawrence and I'm joined by... This is Dan, welcome to the podcast. How are you this week? It's been uh, it's been a few weeks since we recorded, hasn't it? It has, yeah, um, since Mario, so yeah, I'm good. Um, here we are now in October Yes. and the year is flying by. Um, uh, Halloween soon as well. Spooktober. So this week we're going to be discussing a pretty big game on the list. If you've already clicked on the title, then you know what it is. But for those of you who've gone into this blind, which I can't imagine as many of you, we are discussing Half-Life, which is a 1998 game made by Valve. On our list, it's ranked at number 28 and received a Metacritic score of 96. So this is, you know, it's in the top 30. It's pretty high up there. And anyone that has got an interest in games or game history or first-person shooters will probably heard of Half-Life. It's a very influential title and it holds quite a lot of um, stead in the gaming sphere, I suppose. First question then, as usual, is what console did you play this on? I played this on the PlayStation 2. So in 2001, Gearbox Software, whom you may know from Borderlands fame, um, created the PS2 version. And yeah, it was alright. Playing on the PS2 controller. uh, The frame rate is aiming for 60 frames per second, but doesn't quite reach it. Uh, There are some tweaks from the main game. There are additional rooms added for loading and some things like that. Um, I think it looks a bit better than the original release, but not quite as good as any... um, I know that there are different um, mods for the original game, Mm. so it doesn't look as good as those, like the high-definition texture packs and things like that. Um, It was all right. Uh, There's some points where it's a bit janky. I don't know if that's owing to the PS2 or if that's just in the game itself, but I've completed this game twice now. This is the second time I've completed it. Um, so, where did you play it, and what's the story with the way <laughs> that you played it? Um, so, I played the first 30 minutes or so on my PS2, and my PS2 sounded like it was about to take off. It was running so loudly. It it sounded like a jet. It was ridiculous. Um, and to be fair, my system is old, so I took it apart, um, tried to clean out the fan and get any dust out, put it back together, carried on playing Half-Life for a bit, and then my console just died. Um, it gave me not quite the red ring of death from the 360, but the reset button was flashing red, which I believe, after doing a bit of research, means it's overheated. So I think I might have broken yeah. my fan while taking it apart. Um, but can it run Half-Life? Well, this is the thing, because you mentioned as well that, that, that there is an issue with... Um, with Half-Life being run on PS2s where it can be quite loud when it loads. Yeah, it's to do with the, the type of CD that they used. If uh, It's an early game. Obviously, it was released in 2001. So I think as a cost-saving measure, you get some really early PS2 discs that are either on black discs or uh, blue discs. 
and they don't run very well. That the the, uh, the laser in the PS2 doesn't always read them very well. Yeah. Um, I tried playing a game on my PS2 recently, and it just wouldn't run. That was a PS1 game though, actually. But um, I had to play it on PS3 instead. But yeah, so it's an issue that uh, happens with some PS2 discs. Yeah. And unfortunately, this is one of them. Indeed. So luckily, um, I have a friend who was very kind enough to loan me his laptop, as for some reason Apple have made it um, so that you can't play games on, because I, I use a MacBook Air, you can't play games that are 32-bit on a MacBook anymore. I don't know why. But luckily, my friend Dan lent me a laptop. A bit of a shout-out to him. He's got a Twitch channel called I'm Dan M. So if you want to watch some Twitch gameplay of games like, I think, Escape from Tarkov or a variety of other things like GTA 5, etc., go and check his channel out. I thought I'd give him a little shout-out for uh, supplying me with a laptop. But yeah, I played this on Steam on a laptop using an Xbox One controller, which was quite nice. But it's the first game that I've played properly all the way through on Steam, so it was a new experience for me. And it felt apt as well, seeing as... You know, Half-Life is made by Valve, and Valve owns Steam. So it felt like the right way to play it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and we we started the podcast, and we did <laughs> GTA 4. Um, we decided to jump in, in, the, in the middle of um, the Grand Theft Auto series, and now we're kind of backtracking and going over the early games. So with the Half-Life series, many of which, in fact, all of which, apart from the spin-offs and the mods are represented on the list we thought we'd go through in order so obviously on the list we've got half-life we've got half-life 2 we've got episode 1 and 2 uh, as part of the orange box um, portal 1 and 2 which are kind of spin-offs from half-life set in the same world and also the newly released or fairly newly released now half-life alex which um, will be interesting to yeah, play i don't know how we're going to be able to play that I think I think we we leave it till very late on, and I really want to play that anyway. So, I think we'll have to. I mean, you never know. Maybe it will come to uh, next generation consoles via yeah, VR functionality and stuff like that. So, um, we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. But I do want to play it because, by all accounts, it's brilliant. It, it'll be interesting to you know if if we're able to play that, it'll be interesting to do it. And obviously, with it being on the list, it's um, it's our duty to play it as well. So you've mentioned just then that this is the second time that you've played this game. So it sounds like you've got a bit of background with the Half-Life, well, the Half-Life series and with Half-Life 1 itself. When yeah. did you last play it before this playthrough? It's probably about five years ago. Um, so I hadn't played it when it came out and I'd played Half-Life 2, Episode 1 and Episode 2. And I really like those. I think they're great games. But I thought, well, I've never played Half-Life and I really enjoyed Half-Life 2, so why not go back and play it? So I picked up the PS2 version, and I mean, don't really have very strong memories of it. Um, I don't think, in as a modern-day player, I don't think it's anywhere near as good as Half-Life 2, but can fully understand that we're looking at it 22 years later, and feel the same way now. I feel like this game has not aged very well, um, and we'll go into why that is during the episode but yeah it is a 22 year old game and i think we should really uh give a head nod to how 
influential this game is not just amongst gamers but also developers as yeah. well um what it did for the it was game changing wasn't it um yeah so yeah that that's that's uh I, I would say that i'm a fan of the series but i wouldn't say that i'm like a hardcore fan of the series um where do you lie on that scale at uh, the bottom i have no experience with half-life at all i've always heard that half-life 2 is possibly considered to be one of the best games of all time um According to our list, it's not so high. I think Half-Life 2 ranks as uh, 17, I believe. Um, but I've always heard that Half-Life 2 is you know, something really special. I'd heard good things about Half-Life 1, and then I've seen all the memes in regards to Half-Life 3 um, and how much of a meme that has just become. But this was my first time playing Half-Life. I've known little bits about it. I've always known that the protagonist is called Gordon Freeman. I knew that there was a reference to a facility called Black Mesa, or Black Mesa, however you want to say it. Um, but other than that, this I went into this a bit blind. I knew that it was like an old 90s FPS shooter um, in the kind of same lines as Quake. But that's all I knew about it, really. Went into it totally yeah. blind. So it was I mean, it's a, an old, an old nineties PC shooter. Um, yeah. There is some differentiation, obviously, with console shooters and PC shooters Big time. Uh, from the time. Um, and you've also played Portal One and Two, which mm. are uh, spin-offs set in the same universe as well. So you've got, you kind of got, um, I suppose, a feel for the stylings of the game. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. I mean, I kind of wanted to go into a little bit in this episode, and we touched on it briefly when we discuss portal about valve and steam themselves because you mentioned it a moment ago that this game's incredibly influential not just with gamers but with devs as well and you look at a lot of games and a hell of a lot of them have come from half-life mods so yeah. if you look at games like um counter-strike which is still considered yeah. one of the most highly rated, highly played online shooter games of the last kind of 10, 15 years. That started as a Half-Life mod. You've got Portal. So that, there's two versions of that. There's the original version, which was the Half-Life mod. Um, and then there was the, the newer version, which is the one that's very popular now, which was released in 2012, I believe. I see. Um, that, but the original version... Um, CSGO. Possibly. Um, yeah, that's the one that's the, the one everyone buys skins for and stuff yeah. like that, isn't it? Yeah, that's the one. Um, yeah, but then there's the original version because I was just watching this documentary about Half-Life, funnily enough, and um, one of the original uh, esports players who played on the original version um, was talking about the version differences. I mean, the original version looks horrible now, but I'm sure yeah. it plays really nicely still. But uh, yeah, so yeah, there's Counter, counter uh, Counter-Strike and... Uh, what other ones? Um, so, as we discussed in the Portal episode, um, Portal was derived from a Half-Life mod, which was put together by some students, I think, for a dissertation, and then Gabe Newell um, saw it and then offered them all a job at, um, at Valve, and they then created Portal. Um, there's Gary's mod as well, which is incredibly popular, and I know that there are a lot of um, machinima things online made by Gary's mod. There's quite a few others as well. Can you name any? Um, there's things like um, Dear Esther. Yeah. That's a, that's a source mod. Um, there's... Did you mention... 
the one that's set in the office where oh the Stanley Parable. To... Yeah, the Stanley Parable. That's another one. Yeah. Um, and of the original game, there was a there's. I mean, the, the ones from the original game are not as well known. Obviously, they're running on a different engine. Um, but there are some some notable ones as well. Many of which were just simply Half Life mods that were really successful. Um, but what Valve has a history of doing is if they see talented developers creating something special, then they tend to hire them and they become a part of Valve. Uh, or if you're looking at the original Half-Life, many of the modders of that went on to become um, independent studios like Gearbox. Um, Gearbox was originally a modder on Half-Life and they created the two two of the expansion packs um, and then they went on to do the PS2 version and they did an, an, an additional... Uh, story element on that called Half-Life Decay. Um, so yeah, so basically a lot of um, American developers were directly influenced by this game. It's a very uh, American game, I suppose Valve is a very American studio. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think... I mean, G- Gabe Newell started off at Microsoft, didn't he? And then yes. he, he walked away and then created Valve. And now, you know, as we said, Valve owns Steam. And Steam is the biggest online store and uh, platform, I suppose, for people to play online PC games. Um, yeah. You know, you, you can't really downplay how big Valve is, even though you never really hear about it as a game developer or, or um, producer such as EA or Activision. Valve is probably one of the biggest there is. You just never really hear about them. Yeah, I suppose because they don't develop games that regularly, so... Uh, it's more of a storefront, isn't it? Yeah, that they've created. I'd I'd love it if they made another Left 4 Dead game. I love those; they're so good. Yeah, Left 4 yeah. Dead and also Team Fortress. Yeah, T- Team for Fortress those. is on the orange box, isn't it? So we'll be covering that at some point. Yeah, so that's Team Fortress Two, and then the, the original Team Fortress was on was was based on the original Half Life. Uh, there you go. Cool. So we, we've um, it's a brief history of yeah, Valve. We, we've skirted around Half Life a bit, so. Let's just jump into it. So, do you want to explain the story? It's not, yeah. it's not a very deep story, is it, really? It's, um, I think it's uh, the Schindler's List of games. Well, quite right. <laughs> um, yeah, so so you are Gordon Freeman. You are a 27-year-old um, physicist. and MIT you are graduate. Yes, you are going to work at Black Mesa, which is somewhere around Arizona, maybe in the Arizona desert. Um, and you're just on your, your, your way to work. You're, you're in your shuttle, um, traveling through the various parts of the facility. The facility being basically um, a science facility, mm. um, a corporation that develops probably things they shouldn't develop. So anyone that's familiar with sci-fi, you know the sort of place. Um, this is your Wayland Utani, if you if you like Alien. Uh, so yeah, you're going to work, and you you just happen to be working on some big. I don't know if what kind of uh, experiment it is nuclear fission experiment. I don't know. I'm just making that up. That could be wrong. <laughs> you're working on some experiment, and something goes wrong, and you open up a portal or a tear, um, a rift, and through the rift come the combine and basically they start to take over the black mesa facility you've got to get out but also kind of eradicate the threat 
And you're just kind of this workaday person who's coping with the situation. But I heard someone describe it as answering the call of heroism, I suppose. So you've got your, your famous crowbar and you're running around, you're bashing the uh, head crabs. And eventually you go to a different planet and defeat what I think is supposed to be the uh, the queen alien or something like that. I don't know, <laughs> but yeah, so it's kind of a, kind of like that. So that's that's the game within a nutshell, I suppose. Yeah, and and you've got another faction as well that come in, kind of the, the government just before the halfway point, I suppose. There's like a military force that come in to do cleanups when these kind of things go on. That are also trying to hunt down Freeman. So and there's also G-Man. Yeah, G-Man as well, who's very um, very famous amongst kind of mysterious government agent who is always there i mean when you're playing he's always in the background not always but in many scenes yeah and at the end he gives you an ultimatum to either come work for him or get transported through another another rift to uh, a very hostile place and die yeah so it's a fair choice for you at the end indeed so Let's discuss our usual topic of gameplay as king. How do you think this game plays now, 22 years later? Um, it's still functional. It still works. I mean, I remapped the button controls to, I suppose, kind of match more modern shooters yeah. on the PS2. I like the fact that they had that in there, that you could remap them. Um it's still playable. Now, I think we, we discussed this. It's very, very, very slippery. So it feels like you're always like running on metal and sliding all over the place. And then you might run into a wall and you might bounce back off the wall. And because a lot of this gameplay is based around platforming, funnily enough, first-person platforming, it can get really problematic. Um, in terms of the shooting itself, it feels fine. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know what what the uh, lock on was like, or if there was a lock on on the Steam version. But in the PS2 version, the lock on's a bit shaky, um, and you don't always target who you think you're targeting. It can be yeah, it can be a bit finicky. But yeah, it's it's all right. If, like I said, I'd describe it as functional. Um, that's probably the most I would describe it as, though. Yeah, the the, the control and the handling was my biggest issue with this game. Because because I went into it not really knowing what to expect. I usually go in with a bit of a negative outlook on games that I've heard are amazing. Because I just always assume they're not going to live up to the expectation for me. And with this game, there were frustrations and things like where I thought I'd done something. But I hadn't done the whole task, so I had to go back and repeat things. Which was tedious and annoying, very much like my complaints yeah. with um, when we discussed The Link to the Past. But... My main problem with this game was deaths through control. And I'm really glad that there's a quick save feature in this game because the amount of times I just died and reloaded, died and reloaded because I jumped at the wrong time or I'd flown off somewhere that I wasn't expecting or I got crushed or something that I didn't see was there. It was... I wouldn't say maddening. It wasn't enough for me to be like, I don't want to play this anymore. But... Annoying. It was frustrating and it's the kind of thing that you don't really experience as much these days in modern games because it's just not there. 
Um, it isn't really a it's thing a bit as much. Trial and error to the gameplay as well. Yeah, um, where, big time. Where you kind of you run into something, you don't really know what to expect, and you die, and then you reload and you try it again. But as you say, because you've got the quick save functionality, which is on the PS2 version as well, um, it's very easy to jump back in. Problem with the PS2 version though is it doesn't have any checkpoints. So you might go a whole level where you forget to save. Oh, really? And then you get thrown back a level before. I had that happen to me a couple of times. It was a bit annoying. Uh, see, I, I was all right. Literally, I was just hitting F6 every kind of f- few minutes, just doing it. Like, to be fair, I was safe scumming it a little bit, but I, I don't really mind admitting that. Which which I think leads me on to another question, which is, is this game fun? Yeah, I think so. It's frustrating. But I wouldn't say that I didn't have fun with it. I, I liked it. And you you said before we started it, you thought I'd probably enjoy it because I enjoy half uh, because I enjoy Portal. Well, I thought you'd enjoy the, the, the setting and the, the, the tone more than the actual game itself. Yeah, it's it is good and it's very labyrinthian in terms of where you're going and the places that you end up. And I think there are definitely some sections that are a lot stronger than others and there were sections where I wasn't having that much fun. But overall, I had a good time with it. I thought it was decent. It was functional, as you say. And I guess the way that I'd describe this game is like, it was all right, it was fine. I wouldn't go back and play it again, but it was was fine, you know? Yeah. What about you? Would you say it's fun? I mean, I was asking myself this question yesterday. I got to the alien section, which is really, really divisive amongst the Half-Life community. Mm. Um, a lot of people really don't like it. A lot of people say it's all right. And that's the final chapter, um, isn't it, Zen? Yeah, and it's kind of... A lot of people say it's where the design is kind of um, the most basic. Um, they're not they're not as experimental with the design here. Um, kind of feels to me like it harkens back to older pc shooters where you're on this alien world and you, you you got sometimes a barrage of enemies not not like in doom or something like that but still much more than you have faced elsewhere and it becomes a real uh, um just a trial of fire really and uh i i said to myself i'm just not enjoying this at all i'd rather be doing anything right now than uh just working my way through this stupid alien level <laughs> yeah so uh yeah just just before we started recording this, I mean, we're recording this uh, the Sunday before it comes out, so the 11th of October, and I was playing this up until about 10 minutes before we started recording, and I really wanted to try and finish this game before we recorded, but I didn't make it. I'm right at the end. I'm just starting the interloper section on Zen, so I've probably only got about half an hour of the, half an hour of the game left, would you say? I'd say 45 minutes to an hour. That interloper level is really quite long and i mean of everything that i've played of zen so far i'd agree that obviously it is very different and it doesn't quite fit in with the rest of the game i don't think that's a problem but i don't think it's as fun as the rest of the game was like i said there were sections of the rest of the game that i didn't enjoy as much i thought did get a bit tedious but mostly it was all right it it was it was fine but that last section of zen I think I'd have probably been with you on the, okay, this is a bit weird. I'm not enjoying it. I'm not having as much fun with this section. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I went through the motions yesterday. So I started, I picked it up and I was on level nine, um, level nine. No, no, level 10, sorry. No, level nine. Apprehension was the level. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I was working through, got to a level called um, residue processing. Yeah. Which is like a big, really platforming level. There's not yeah, many um, combat sections in there. And although, like we say, the platforming can be a bit finicky, it can be, um, I really kind of like the inventiveness of the platforming sections within there. I thought, okay, this is cool. Um, so I really was getting... and ducts and stuff. Yeah, and it was just one thing after another, and it just felt like a playground. Felt cohesive. Um, yeah, and I, I really liked that section. I felt like it was... Um, it was Valve at their most experimental, and I always like experimental stuff in games, so I was really enjoying that. And then a couple of levels later, you got surface tension, which aesthetically I think is great. You're outside, you've got um, you've got all the maces in the distance, which are the like the, the rock faces that you get, those really distinctive rock faces, um, and you've got the helicopter, and and I, I love the aesthetics of that level, but mm. playing that level is just really tedious because it's just combat heavy against um loads of the uh the guards the, the first, and the first section of that surface tension bit where you come out on the side of the um the mountain yeah it's really cool it really reminded me of um the section where you've just gone up the really long ladder in snake eater yeah you know do you know what i mean you see, see where i'm coming from with that because you're, you're going up different sides of cliffs and stuff like that and obviously you know snake eater came out what six years after that um, 2003 or four. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I got, I got a real kind of uh, like memory, I suppose, of Snake Eater from doing that section, which I thought was quite nice. Yeah, I, I really like that that moment. I think that's a really cool moment. And there's lots of really cool moments within that level, but it's just punctuated by this um, tedious combat against these yeah. bullet sponge guards. Um but yeah, no, the surface tension was nowhere near as bad as, as Zen. And then you got to Zen and I was just literally losing the will to live. But I thought, I'm going to keep pushing through because I just want to get it finished. And I was I gave myself a headache at the end of it, but got it done. And yeah, I, like you, have no desire to play this game again. No. And, you know, there, there were periods where I wasn't enjoying it as much and it was a bit of a, a hassle for me to want to play it. Because I mean, at the same time, I've been playing. Um, I've been playing Among Us at the same time, just for a bit of fun, which I've told you a little bit about. And it's a super fun game. And then to, to, I had to like try and force myself to go back and play um, to play Half Life occasionally. As well as yeah. that, I've also just restarted playing The Last of Us. So I've had a few games on the go, and playing Half Life hasn't always been the, the one that I've wanted to play the most. But, it's felt like a chore in time. Yeah, sometimes. Not 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 often, but just occasionally I'd be like, Oh, I've got to play a bit of Half Life, got to put a bit of Well time. I was I was just been playing Bloodborne and I got pretty obsessed with that. I was literally thinking about it all the time, um, working through it, playing little bits on my lunch break and uh, yeah, I really loved that. It was it was great. And then I thought, oh, I've got to plug away at Half-Life. Because I knew it, it's, it's a fairly long game. That's the other thing. Yeah, I and... think I'm logged about 10 hours. And I'm, like you say, about an hour away from the end. Yeah, and I think, well, what the um, the thing says, you know, that website, How Long to Beat, says 14 hours, roughly, to beat the game. Yeah, I'd have been um, about 11 and a half, I reckon. 
yeah i mean i yeah so i I think obviously it varies from person to person i don't i have no idea how long i spent i know that i spent a long time yesterday i played it in about three chunks where i was just um working my way through and yeah I, i just i just always was thinking so i started playing near automata after bloodborne after i completed bloodborne and all the dlc and i thought just rather be playing that as well than well, <laughs> playing this. It's the interesting thing with this podcast, isn't it? Because we're playing some really, really big games, and the next couple of games that we're doing, you could argue that they don't come bigger than the next few that we're doing. And as well as that, we also do the games that we're not looking forward to as much as well. Um, and we've got a lot of those on the horizon. But I kind of see Half Life as a bit of an in betweener. It wasn't a game that I was super looking forward to. But it wasn't a game that I was dreading playing either. I just knew did it have to be done? I suppose. Yeah. And it's 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 that middle ground for me as well in yeah. terms of there are games that I really, really don't want to play. But I was kind of pushing for us to play this because yeah. I knew that we wanted to get the Half Life train rolling and I'm really looking forward to playing Half Life Two again and episode one and two and eventually playing Half Life Alex. Um so I thought, well, May as well just get it done. And um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a middle ground for me, whereas there's some, <laughs> I say it every time, civilization that are just, are just not for me and I know they're not for me. Whereas I think in 1998, this would have been for me. Um, it's just, I feel like th- the genre has come a long way since then. Oh, massively. I mean, in some ways it hasn't, but in a lot of ways it has. Um, and going back to this is just, um, it's hard. Well, we, we, we said it in the Super Mario episode and we said it in the Zelda episode that with big franchises like this, it'll be the same for Metal Gear Solid as well when we come to covering that, that it's interesting to see where these games started out and to see where they go. Yeah, And then exactly. looking back to see which one was the best in that series, how far has it come, what changes did they make, Did a lot of the changes were they for the better. And I think it's very interesting asking those questions when we do cover franchises on this uh, podcast especially when all of the games in a franchise are on this list as well i think it's um yeah i think it's an interesting discussion to have yeah i fully agree and i th- i think um it's going to be really interesting going back and playing half-life 2 and uh, episode 1 and 2 i think you're really going to enjoy those i think what i what i was going to say about this game was that this is for my money in terms of from what i can think of this is the earliest example of um a very kind of linear um set piece heavy shooter mm. so you don't really have you, you don't have any cutscenes. everything's in game everything happens around you the character now you compare this to goldeneye um goldeneye is also brilliant in fact i think i prefer goldeneye but um again I played that at the time, so there could be an element of nostalgia there. Um, But you compare this to Goldeneye, that was level-based, obviously. You never see the in-game cutscenes, if you can call them that, or in-game scenes were limited to one person talking to another person. Um, Whereas here, you've got big tentacles attacking guards. Um, You've got stuff going on around you all the time. And... I feel like other games really took this idea and ran with it. So other games we've played on the list, you got Modern Warfare, Modern Warfare 2. They've they just taken the idea and run with it. And it started here in this game, and it's really impressive. So the other thing is, obviously, 
you got levels in almost every shooter before this. This game does away with levels. You have chapters, yes. and it's fluid and fluent, and your transition from one chapter to the next is literally a bit of text along the bottom of the screen. I think that's such good storytelling, and I, I really do like the world that it creates, the mood and the atmosphere. I think it's brilliant, and I think they expanded it in Portal in Half-Life 2. Um, but I really kind of respect the way that they approach their storytelling as well. Um, so this game, uh, we've mentioned that middle step a few times to from where we got to originally, which we, we can say was something like Doom, um, to where we are today. Um, and when we come to play Half-Life 2, what we'll realise probably is that first-person shooters, apart from graphics, have not really developed beyond that. Um, so I think this is that middle step, again, that we always mention. So it's really important to acknowledge that uh, and its impact on gaming, I suppose. Yeah. A, qu a question that I'd pose to you is, what was your least favourite part of this game, do you think? Zen, easily. <laughs> Which bit? As in uh, Zen, the uh, oh, okay, alien yeah, planet. The, the alien section. Yeah, definitely. Okay. I'd say Nothing even comes close to that for me. I'd say for me it was Blast Pit with that. The, the yeah creature with the legs and the reason i didn't like it is it, it brings me back to talking about what i said earlier with having to go back and do things because i hadn't done them properly in that i turned the power on but i hadn't turned the gas and the fuel on so that i couldn't shoot the test shot at it to kill it and then had to go back and that did my head in a little bit um but the thing with this game is there isn't anything that's like here's your objective go you just kind of have to pick up um bits of dialogue from the people that you go past along the way and then just follow yeah. the natural course of the of the map design. But then you'll occasionally get to bits where you're a bit more unsure of what to do. And it can lead to bits where you're having to go back and double check things and, you know, backtrack a bit, which got a bit annoying. But like I said, not yeah. to the point where I wanted to turn the game off. Although it's definitely I, I will say that when I got to that bit and blast pit and realised I had to go back, I did stop playing for about a day or two because <laughs> I, I just couldn't face doing it again. But I did, and it was fine. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a challenge that you're given, where you're given clues within the environment. Um, you've got, like, little markers on the wall saying what you've... And it's, like, green lit if you've got the gas and the oxygen yeah. and the fuel. Uh, what was the third one? Gas, oxygen, and... The power. And power. Um, and you're kind of given this hub area, and you can go off, and you can get say the fuel and the uh the fuel and the oxygen and then you can do the power um but to me that was okay i mean yeah it could have it could have steered you in the right direction a bit more but at least there was some level design there whereas in zen <laughs> it's, it's barely there um it's just very very much by the numbers shooting stuff mm. yeah it's like you say i feel that zen is a very um, you know divisive section and the little bit of it I played I can understand why um, so the, I like the, the next question jump. I would post to you which would be the question of the week which I spent a good bit of time thinking of um, is do you feel well sorry does Half-Life does this game feel like a prequel to arguably one of the best games ever made Um, so are you saying 
does is it feel like that this concept could go into becoming something bigger to be considered one of the best games ever made? I would say that at the time, this was that game. Um, from from this documentary that I've been watching, its impact was huge, and to many people it was that game. So the discussion wasn't, um, is this laying the foundations as per something like Assassin's Creed did for Assassin's Creed 2. Um, it's more, um, how are they going to top this? Um, with all that pressure, because they, they, they hit it out of the park with Half-Life. And with Half-Life 2, they did it again. And they changed things and they revolutionised. They based it on physics. And there's some really amazing physics in Half-Life 2. And I think that's why we've not seen Half-Life 2 Episode 3. I think that's why we've not seen Half-Life 3. And that's why I think they went down Half-Life Alex that route with VR instead. Because it was a bit all eyes... Yeah, and all all eyes are on Valve to deliver something as influential as Half-Life, as influential as Half-Life 2. So both games that they made, both main games, they kind of um, changed the industry. How yeah. do you go about doing that again? Well, You've got guess, so much pressure on you now. I guess when Half-Life 2 came out, because Half-Life 2 came out in 2006, was it? 2005. 2005. So there'd been... Maybe even 2004. There'd been maybe six, seven years of anticipation for it. But I can't imagine with the run-up to Half-Life 2, people were expecting Valve to reinvent the wheel. But since Half-Life 2 came out and has become what it is and what it's considered to be these days, like you say, Valve knows that if if they do Half-Life 3, and who knows if they ever will or if they've started it or what, that they'd have to really hit it out of the park because the expectations for that game would be so, so high. And you can look at um, The Last of Us Part Two as a prime example of that, is that hype trains will disappoint you. And if you really set all of your expectations on these games to be, you know, the next best thing, a lot of the times you'll often be disappointed. And... I found that a lot of the people that didn't enjoy the, uh, the Last of Us Part Two and didn't have a good time with it were the people that were really excited for it, were the people that were expecting it to be this, that, and the other. And, and they really loved the first one. Yeah. And hype is a really dangerous thing. And another prime example of a hype train going too hard is No Man's Sky. If, if you remember the run-up to No Man's Sky when that came out, it was ridiculous. And Sean Murray and Hello Games could never deliver what was being advertised and what they were being asked because it was just ridiculous. And now, four years on, I know that No Man's Sky is a pretty good game and they've put in a lot of the features that were originally supposed to be in it when it was released. But I think Half-Life 3, if it ever does come out, will be a very interesting thing to look at to see if it does tick those boxes for those people that were excited for it for over 10 years, and if it does deliver on expectation. Because as talented as Valve are, I don't think Half-Life 3 will ever come out, because they know that it it, it just could not live up to expectation. There's just no way, because it's so high. Do you know what I mean? Kind of. Um, I think it's... Uh, so you, you make one masterpiece, that's one. And then you make... 
a second one, you prove that you're consistent and that you've got, I suppose, the talent to do it twice. The way I see it is Godfather Part 1, Godfather Part 2, mm. both brilliant in their own right. And then pressure's really on for that Part 3 and Godfather Part 3, as many people will know, is nowhere near as good. It's really hard to do that Part 3, but I feel like no one expected Half-Life Alex to be a thing. And it's a fully formed thing. And it made the Metacritic list. It was Valve basically saying, we can still do this. Um, so I don't know if there's ever going to be a Half-Life 3, but... It's I, very hard to I judge, think that was it? It's hard to judge yeah. that third in the trilogy, because you look at Star Wars, and The Empire Strikes Back, arguably one of the best films ever, going to Return of the Jedi, and it's got its fans, but it's not, it's not Empire Strikes Back. It's not A New Hope. But then you look at another franchise, you look at The Lord of the Rings... And, I mean, The Fellowship of the Ring is my favourite film in that trilogy. Same. But I know that a lot of people love Return of the King because it is a great film. So I actually think Return of the King is the weakest of the three. I do as well. But I know that it is very highly regarded. So I think it's the one that critics finally turned to and they said, OK, we've got to give this credit now. Yeah, and, um, that's it. It's going to get all the Academy Awards. But my favourite is Fellowship and I love Two Towers for... The uh, the um, Helm's Deep battle, which is amazing. Yeah, that's yeah. It. It, it's it's di- di- the difficult third album, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, it's that curse. But yeah, it, it will be very interesting to see if Valve ever did that. I can't, I can't see it happening. It's been so long. I think Valve can do it, and I don't think history has shown us that they kept delaying Half Life Two. They will keep delaying if it's not meeting that standard. So the yeah, only way like it'll ever come out financial pressure is it? They've got all the money in the world. Exactly. So the only way it's ever going to come out is if they're happy with it. Um, I mean, I hope it comes out because, as you'll come to see with the um, other games, it's very much an unfinished story. As we come towards the end of this Half Life episode, I suppose I would ask, as usual, what your overall thoughts were of this game. It's it's, it's really hard. Because I fully, like I said, if I'd have played it back then, I think I'd have been blown away. I think time has not been kind to this game. Of all the games on this list, I feel like this is the most diminished that a game has become over the years from its original form. I mean, graphically, it's horrible to look at. It's just hideous. Um, Gameplay, like I said, is functional. Gameplay remains intact, but... It's flawed. The platforming's flawed. The uh, slippery physics or the slippery mechanics are flawed, um, and that way of storytelling—they've come such a long way since Half-Life at doing that. So, if you go in expecting Half-Life Two-level storytelling, you're not going to get that because they got so much better at it. Um, but at the same time, it—it it was that good when it came out and um it's not it's not for me to say that it wasn't because it definitely was that good um if you influence so many famed developers um to now do what they're doing then it's obviously doing something correct um so i uh, the way i would see it is once again this is a game that probably does deserve to be on the list 
but it's not my favorite game or it's not even my favorite games and I don't want to play it again. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's a very difficult one. Um, what do you think? As I said earlier, I, th- I thought this game was fine. I didn't think it was the best time ever. I thought it was functional. I thought it was quite fun. But I was about to say it didn't reinvent the wheel, but it did for the time. Um, yeah. And, and that's the difficult thing with this podcast is trying to throw our minds back to when these games did originally come out and how, you know, breakthrough they were. And as we've said, this game is ridiculously influential a lot of the games that have come out now are directly influenced by Half-Life or Half-Life 2 and you've got all of these mods that came out and you've got all of the games that are still popular that you know came from Half-Life mods and it is a ridiculously important game I'd say and that's yeah. coming from someone that never played this game before had no interest or opinion on Half-Life. And as someone that enjoys Valve games and trying to compare it to other Valve games that I've played, I don't think I believe this game should be on this list. And I'm trying a lot harder now to either say, yes, the game deserves to be on the list, or no, it doesn't, instead of saying, oh, I think it would be on my list, or it wouldn't, because I really want to give that that clarity and obviously this is all opinion anyway and down to personal preference but from looking back at it and looking at other games that came out in 98 and other first person shooters that came out around that time i respect its influence and i know that we wouldn't be where we are today perhaps without this game but i don't think this game should be in the top 100 games of all time i think there are other games that could have taken its place i think because because we're here to assess the Metacritic list, aren't we? Yes. So it's not it's not to do with um, our favourite games necessarily. Yeah, That's true. just something that we weigh in with. And like I said, my favourite games would be filled out with completely different games to what's on this list. But I, th- I think there are certain games that are just, as you say, really important. And it's how do you quantify that? Because... It, you don't know if you'd have today's games without them and it's really it's it's hard for us to say in 2020 that half-life released in 1998 that influenced literally hundreds and hundreds of games directly through mods and indirectly through developers um to people playing the games i think it's really hard for us to say yes or no it, it I mean, if, you, if you're saying, does it deserve to be on this list in 2020? No, definitely not. But does it deserve to be on this list full stop? I think it does. So October is going to be a little bit different for us. We usually try to push out, um, you know, a game every week and then maybe one week we'll have um, a week off. This month, however, we're going to be doing, because uh, this episode is launching on the 15th of October and then after that our next episode will be coming out on the 29th of october just before halloween and that is by design because we're going to be doing a halloween special so i know it's a game that you're very excited to play because i've never played it before so i think you're keen to get my thoughts on it but do you want to reveal what we're going to be doing for halloween 
Yeah, so we're going to be playing one of the only horror-themed games on the list, which is Resident Evil 4. And if you know me, you know that I love this game. And you don't really have much experience with it, so it'll be an interesting one. No, I've played um, played Resident Evil 1 on the GameCube. Played it for about half an hour before I physically couldn't play it anymore because of the camera. Um, yeah. But I'm, I'm interested to go into this one because I know that you really like it. I know a lot of my friends really like it. And it is you know considered to be up there. And everyone loves Leon Kennedy and the chainsaw guy that cuts your head off. And I, th- I think Dr. it should Salvador. be an interesting episode. Yeah. Um, so are you going to try and complete it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've, I think I've already got it on the PS4. Um, or if not, I've got it somewhere. So I'll, um, I'll try and try and get through it, try and finish it so I can give a fair opinion on it. It's one of those games that I've wanted to play for quite a long time. So it's uh, finally an excuse to do so. Yeah, definitely. Excellent. Okay. Well, that wraps up Half-Life. I feel that we've left it relatively ambiguous there at the end. Um, but yeah. I think as we go on and when we cover Half-Life 2, Episode 1 and 2, I think it will become a lot more nailed down with our opinions. But that wraps up Half-Life. So, as per usual, if you want to find us on social media, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can email us at the long and short of it podcast at hotmail.com. If you want a visual aid when listening to this podcast, you can find a video format on Dan's YouTube channel, The Subtext, where not only episodes of our podcast are uploaded, but also in-depth reviews about other things. And yeah, as usual, we appreciate you listening. Um, We really enjoy doing these. So, you know, thank you very much for supporting us and listening and following, etc. And if you are enjoying it, please share it with a friend or family member who you think would enjoy it as well. Any last words from you? No, um, just see you on the next one and enjoy October and the build up to Halloween. Indeed. We'll see you for Resident Evil 4 on the Halloween special. So, yes. Cheerio. What are you buying?